So uh, uh, a session like this, uh, we sometimes call these retreats or meditation retreats, but some of this you'll be practicing at home. It's a non-residential, so it's not, uh, you have to uh, really get a more full picture of how to spend the next week yeah, uh, in cultivation, bhavana, cultivation. Cultivation is a much more useful word, I think, than meditation because it's about planting and sustaining virtues, training, understanding, behavior <laughs> that leads to uh, fruitful ends and uh, uh, some of these are just feeling happier, feeling lighter, feeling clearer, freedom from regret, uh, good companionship, uh, uh, restraint, training the mind and these also lead on to release of the mind from unwholesome influences and from grasping, cultivation, to live a life of cultivation. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I understand, really bear in mind, it, you only spend some of your time here, yeah. in this particular situation where things are formalized and established. And you'll be spending some of the time in the situations which are home, wherever you live, perhaps you're living with other people. And you want to keep the sense of cultivation going on. Yeah. And so if we, you know, if we separate the Eightfold Path make too much of a distinction you can think well I can only practice when I'm in the monastery when I do my practice the rest of the time just, <laughs> just get by until the next retreat well this isn't a very good way to look at it <laughs> because you, the idea is you practice the eightfold path continually <laughs> yeah mm. Yeah. And one unifying uh, theme in the Eightfold Path is uh, karma, and uh, uh, it means how we act, how we speak, what we put our minds into. Physical action is karma, verbal action is karma. Even what you get involved with has an effect. What you put your attention into has an effect. Yeah. What you talk about has an effect. What you read has an effect. Yeah. And all of those, we make choices to look at this, to think about that, to give attention to this. We're making subtle choices many times in the day to give them attention to this, give attention to that. And that choosing and inclining is the source of karma. It means karma, action that gives rise to results. Vipaka. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those results accumulate. 
This is just um, impersonal. It's the same for everybody. Yeah. Even whether with we understand it or don't understand it. So the Buddha said, if you pick up a red-hot cannonball, whether you know it's a red-hot cannonball or don't know it's a red-hot cannonball, it will still burn you. <laughs> So whether you know, if you, if, you, if, you un, if you know or don't know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If you give your attention, this, this will give rise to results. Naturally, if we at least have some theoretical knowledge, we can say, be careful, that might be. So we live with, with, with restraint and caution and heedfulness, just in case. I mean, check it out. Is that cannibal hot or not? Before you get hold of it. And if you get hold of it, know how to drop it. This is practice. Now, we don't, we're not dealing with red-hot cannibals. But we're dealing with uh, social media, which can send people's minds scattering in a thousand directions. Social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, emails... News, media, just send your mind scattering every which way. Agitation, excitement, worry, complication. And that's so uh, recognize whether you, whether you know it or not, that's what it does. It's also addictive. People get addicted to these things. Yeah. And so wherever I go now, I see most of the time, most people looking at a screen. You know, it doesn't matter what country it is, they're doing the same thing. Yeah. You go to a village in northeast Thailand, they're looking at screens. Because <laughs> it's addictive, because this is where the world is. And we think, this is the world, I want to get involved with the real world. But <laughs> this real world is an image on a screen. How real is that? <laughs> yeah. So we, we recognize things like this, you know, how superficial much of the world is, how superficial, just an image on a screen, yeah, yeah, just a, and yet the mind can be sent scattering every which way by a picture or an image, a promise, a notion, an advertising slogan. Yeah. So we, and then there's whether you, you know, and uh, whether you choose, whether you really understand on it, it will still have that same effect. This is so you actually recognize karma, although it's noted called intention. Sometimes we're not clear. Intention seems to mean we think about it, but it's not necessarily so. Intention, chaitana, is just that which turns the mind. Just that which turns attention. Just that which turns attention. That which is, oh, stick to that. It's just that. You see, English word doesn't really do it very well. But it's just the turning of the mind. And when, we when you begin to realize that, and how one turn of the mind 
can lead you into this chaos and excitement or one turn of the mind can cool it down you realize you've got to get hold of that door the mind door yeah and then we have powerful ways of turning it we reflect upon death we might all die tonight suddenly where where's the screen going to take you then <laughs> yeah where's the facebook going to send take you then you reflect upon that uh, and somewhere in the world somebody's dying now obviously yeah and one day it will be this my turn your turn so we see yeah and then what did happen to this world then that seems so real and so passionate and so important and so urgent and so overwhelming what happened to it <laughs> and where's your chitta where's your heart where's your mind gone then nobody knows oh, i don't know <laughs> well the buddha knew <laughs> he told people that's you know, the way you live your life that's where you're going next when this sort shows over you just booked a ticket <laughs> So he said, you reflect on death, reflect on karma. Uh, and reflect upon the possibility of purifying the citta, this heart, this that which seeks and wishes and wants. Yeah, purify it so it, it seeks that which is for its benefit rather than that which ruins it. It seeks that which uplift and strengthen it rather than that which corrode and defile it. Mm. You have to train it like a, it's like a wild animal, but it can be trained. And the Buddha said, just as nothing can do you so much harm as an untrained citta, nothing can do you so much harm. Nothing can do you so much good as a well-trained citta, therefore. You know, you realize, and citta and cetana, citta, cetana, very clearly related. Citta is that which has cetana, that turning. Yeah. And so therefore, turn your mind, turn your citta to the triple gem. Yeah. You know, and many beings in this world don't know, have not, don't have that. They don't know that. They don't know anything, but they don't know there is such a thing. Yeah. So we have great good fortune. We know that. Yeah. We at least have the ideas. There is a refuge. We have an encouragement to enter that. We have ways and means of entering that explained, encouraged, supported, ways and means of entering that refuge place, the way out of death to the deathless, the way to liberation. We have ways and means that direct us there. Turn your attention that way. Yeah. Yeah. Beings in this world who have no under, no understanding no one tell ever told them about it yeah when i was brought up in london triple triple gem was diamond ring maybe then <laughs> <laughs> triple gem what's he talking about nothing 
So people struggling to get by and make a living, you know, not bad people, but just know that the opportunity wasn't there. Yeah. So some of us had the good fortune to hear that and, and be reminded of that. Oh, yeah. And we had enough physical capacity to, to follow it. We have enough brain to understand it. There are beings who have depleted faculties. Yeah. We have enough faculty to understand these, to consider these. To, you know, we have the strength and capacity. We're not dying. We're not decrepit. We're, we're reasonably healthy to do it. These are not small, small benefits. These are enormous benefits that we have to for long-lasting welfare and happiness. Yeah. So we say, well, when you think of it like this, you say, goodness me, you know. The Buddha said it's like the possibilities are like, imagine a, a world covered with water and you have a blind turtle floating, floating in the ocean of this entire planet covered with water. And there's a blind turtle in the water and someone throws a wooden ring in the ocean. And that turtle manages to find a way to stick its head up through the ring. So what are the chances of that? <laughs> how rare is that? I think it must be very rare. So that's how rare it is <laughs> to have a fortunate human birth. <laughs> when you're in that, don't waste it <laughs> on, on games. <laughs> You know, we have so many years before this body will break down. Yeah. Don't, don't waste the energy. Yeah. Mm. So this is sobering, but also to remember this, uh, these precepts and everything about the Dhamma is not just good, it's also happy. Yeah. It may not seem that way, but actually... It's the happiness of the heart, when the heart is free from regret, free from agitation, free from guilt, free from fear, as, you know, free from miserliness, stinginess, <laughs> grudge-bearing, <laughs> free from harshness, free from perversion, free from violence, how many beings on the planet are corrupted with violence or perversion or miserliness, stinginess, hoarding, callous, harsh? How many beings are uh, steeped in these defilements? Yeah. The hearts are swept away with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we have that chance to say, if you clear that, just how how light, bright your heart will be. <laughs> he said it would be like the sun shining. Yeah. Heart will be bright. Mm. We have to train that heart to look for its welfare because the main problem yeah, is the heart keeps looking into sense consciousness for happiness. It's been trained to do that. 
We see it everywhere. Buy one of these, you'll be happy. Yeah, get a five gigabyte database, you'll be happy. Get a new SIM card, you'll be happy. Put some cream on your skin, you'll be beautiful. <laughs> you know, they're all happy in the advertisements. <laughs> and yet you look around the world, you think, who's actually happy here? <laughs> they're all worried, stressed, agitated, <laughs> quarreling. <laughs> the Buddha says, we are happy, we who have no ill will. <laughs> we are happy. We have pure conduct. It says even the gods cannot match the happiness of the pure heart. To know where to look. So part of our bhavana is both to encourage these qualities and also to turn towards them so you feed on them. Yeah. And so clearly our practice is about what we do, but it's also about what we eat. Not just with our mouths, but what we eat with our hearts. And most of us can really benefit from taking some time to just eat good dhamma. <laughs> just take it in. Uh, take in loving kindness. You know, take in calming. You know, take in self-respect and care for others. You know. Take these in, they'll, they'll feed your heart comes out of its stress and pressure, feels fed. And this is absolutely necessary because without, we don't have a, the heart isn't fed, it can't really do the, the work that's needed to penetrate and uh, um, explore. So we have to feed this jitta. And uh, the great food of the jitta, uh, sila. Sila makes you strong. It means you stop putting poison into your system. <laughs> yeah. and instead you start to put integrity. Integrity and respect. I don't defile myself, I don't defile others. Yeah. I don't defile myself, I don't defile others. In that sense of strength. That sense of strength and stands against the pressure of the world. And how do we defile ourselves? Uh, we think unskillful thoughts. How do we defile others? We say unskillful things. We see them in un unfriendly ways. We see them in hostile ways. We disregard their welfare. Yeah. How do we defile others? We lack compassion. Yeah. How do we file that defile ourselves? We lack proper attention to that which is important. When you cultivate this, whether you're at home, <laughs> walking down the street, coming to the monastery, sitting here, you cultivate like this. Yeah? Do you understand? Do you understand what it takes? Yeah. Just what it takes to walk down the street without getting lost in the windows, in the shops, in the advertisements. Yeah. Yeah. And what it takes to do that, not difficult, but you have to put some effort into it because they're all out to grab you. 
what does it take? You know, it takes when we when we come to a dwelling place, rather than okay, well that's the day over. That's a pretty stupid thought. <laughs> Give up cultivating. There's no now's the time to reflect and consider what you've heard and what you're experiencing and dwell upon it. And also bring up the timeless uh, qualities of goodwill towards yourself, towards others in the present, those you live with, near or far, alive or dead, in the past, those who you have hurtful problems with, to learn to release these unpleasant memories. It's over, finished, let it go. Yeah. You can cultivate like that. So you're freeing your mind, your chitta, from the pressure of the past, from things that unskillful things that people may have done to us intentionally or unintentionally, from unskillful things we've done to others intentionally or unintentionally. You know, has anybody lived a life of absolute perfect purity? No. <laughs> so before we find fault with others, let's remember that and say, well, yeah, possibly I may have, then forgiving, clearing, just recognizing uh, and any unskillful qualities of regret, guilt, useless, but they're reminders uh, to examine, to be careful and to sustain now to sustain that proper jitana intentionality. Mm. This is possible, absolutely. You know, we may think that these arahants and so forth were beings of complete purity, and by the time they were arahants, they were, but they didn't start out like that. <laughs> you know, you know the story of the famous murderer, Angulimala, and killed 999 people and was about to kill his own mother. And the Buddha thought, if he kills his own mother, this is just, you know, you can't possibly release that karma in this lifetime, so I better get in the way. I'll intervene. So he got, he, he distracted Angulimala to chase him. He says, you can't kill a Buddha, it's impossible. And so he brought Angulimala to humility. And then now's the time to stop killing, stop evil deeds. Angulimala did. And in that very lifetime, within a few years, he realized complete liberation. Okay? Have you killed 999? Anybody done 999 people? How about 900? How about nine? <laughs> you don't have that much bad karma. <laughs> really, you don't. <laughs> but you know, it does, well, the little bits that are bad, they stick in you like a lump in your eye, like a piece of grit in your eye, don't they? A little piece of grit can make you weep. So you've got to recognize, you know, okay, there's that little piece, now just... Widen your gaze, don't get focused on that, and uh, practice with uh, 
pure intention now. So when we uh, begin to really cultivate in this way, we look at sila in a very all-encompassing way in terms of skillful karma, in terms of refraining from unskillful karma. And you can expand that into these particular four bases. First of all, it's just the fundamental moral precepts, which are the five precepts, fundamental moral precepts. You keep those, you won't do anybody any harm. <laughs> yeah, it's possible to be a stream entry with five precepts. You won't do anybody any harm. You keep those, and they're nice, simple, definite. Don't do this. Don't do that. Straight. Uh, yeah, and there are things that are not that, that remote, not that difficult. But you need to put that intention, because the world will still, yeah, encourage you to transgress them, to crack them, like little lies, <laughs> not being quite truthful, just occasional beer, <laughs> you know, only once a year, twice a year, just encourage you, just, so you look, yeah, just no. <laughs> yeah. Not because these things are so wrong, but because the sense of, in, of having one-pointedness of intention is very significant. Intention is one-pointed. It doesn't go well sometimes, but then sometimes not. <laughs> that's not. That's not strong. That's cracked. And if it's cracked, it can't stand up strong. So you look at these five precepts. You look at things, and you realize things like you know, um, sexual misconduct, and you recognize how much attention people put into making themselves sexually attractive. You know? Trying to make sure they look sexually attractive. What do you do that for? Why do you need it? You know? know? So it's not gross, but it's still a subtle kind of deviation from what that sense of, you know, propriety is about. And if you just begin to look at that and think, this is absurd. The amount of money and attention onto just skin and hair and body shape. (laughs) And you look at it, I mean, pull back two millimeters of skin. (laughs) It's the same for everybody. Men, women, it's the same. <laughs> yes, why do you want to make that so important? Because you know, that sense of attracting attention. Or feeling I don't have confidence unless I, my hair looks good. I feel uncom- I don't feel confident. Well, you need to make some good friends, you know. <laughs> and you need to also have loving kindness. And you also need to know the body as it is. And use the body properly, and these, which we'll cultivate in this retreat. Using the body as a means of liberation, not just as an adornment to, to attract people or to be measured by, but something that's yours. You realize all attraction is about other people. You know, you put makeup on for other people, you don't see it. <laughs> 
but your own body internally that you feel in yourself, that's yours. The rest of it is just fantasy. So we reflect upon these. Bright speech. So it's a sense of uh, both that which is true, uh, spoken at the right time, spoken gently, clearly, yeah, and not just using up other people's minds with your noise. <laughs> yeah. So in retreat, we definitely make this silent. Why? We have a sign in the monastery which says, uh, uh, it's better to say nothing and make, pe- um, and make people think you're stupid rather than open your mouth and confirm the impression. <laughs> <laughs> but speech that's pleasant to hear, purposeful, straight, true, this is a treasure. <laughs> this is a treasure. We really restrain and then purify. This is a treasure. Speech, true speech is deathless speech because it stays, when you hear it, it stays with you. And it's a, it's a gift we give to each other. And what we, somebody said 10 years ago, oh, that's good. Yeah. So we use that rather than misuse it. All this means is a certain amount of restraint is necessary, isn't it? Yeah, that sense of compulsive, compulsive action, following, following the mainstream as it runs along in samsara, just compulsive. We get we get trained in it, so you just do the same as everybody else. So you, it's compulsive. So we're standing against that. Yeah. The restraint. Restraint gives us back to ourselves. Non-restraint throws us, throws our chitta into the world, into the stream of samsara. Restraint takes us into the stream of dhamma. Which way do you want to go? Restraint takes you into the stream of dhamma. Necessary, absolutely necessary, for liberation. Restraint. The second basis of sila is just restraint over the faculties, which means what our eyes do, what our mind does, where it runs out. That kind of energy running out, we we restrain it. And here we have the great benefit we've got. Definitely you can restrain it by bringing it back here onto this very body. Body's quite obvious, it's not that subtle. It's not that difficult to bring you back there. You walk home, walk home, feeling your body. Sit in your chair, you sit in your chair, feel the body. (laughs) Lie down, lie down, being the body. It's not that difficult, but it's not exciting. (laughs) That's Indriya, Indriya Sangwara. We should consider that also as an uplifting quality because it gives us great strength. Wherever we go, we're in this very body, we can use it. Wherever we go, we can run out 
into the senses and get lost and restrain. Mm. This is another form of sila. Can you cultivate this all day long? Can you cultivate it when you have your meal? Doesn't mean you don't eat, you just know what you're doing. You know the tendency, taste, hunger, they light things up. Yes, okay, but we don't have to follow it. It's not what happens, it's what the mind chooses where it goes. So we, okay, that feels like that passion, that excitement, let it pass. Really, the interesting thing with restraint is you only have to do this for like 10 seconds and the push dies down. The push to go out into sight and sound. You just hold it for 10 seconds. The wave subsides. Of course, it comes back again, so you do it again. You do it again, eventually the wave doesn't come up anymore. It's just a ripple and it passes. That's where you, you take away the energy of the, of the senses. You bring it back to the heart. This is training, you know. This is something, we're not going to do this, complete this in a week. <laughs> if we get the feeling of this, the understanding this, and we keep it going, this is a life training that will become easier, more comfortable, more fruitful as the weeks and the months and the years go by. Instead of your aging taking you to down, your aging takes you up. <laughs> the years lift you up, they don't, they don't drag you down. Yeah, I'm 74, and I feel more happy, bright than I was than when I was 24. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> Absolutely, no doubt. Yeah. Restraint over the use of the requisites. So we say, what do we all need? What is this? We need to stay alive. We need food. Just enough food, simple enough. Something we don't have to get too involved with, just simple, that which provides this requirement of sustaining the body. That's what food's for. How long does taste stay with you? Gone. <laughs> That's what sense restraint means. It means doing the simple arithmetic Taste stays there for five seconds. Food goes in your belly for ten hours. <laughs> it's only when it's in your belly that it's going to do you any good. <laughs> so you choose what's going to go in here, going to live with me for the next ten hours or so, not what's just going to flip, pass over my tongue. Yeah. And you also cultivate restraint in terms of food. And you look, you see, often it's isn't even the taste, it's the sight. The food's got pink flowers on it. Or it's got special attractive shapes to it. The eyes don't eat food. <laughs> you just put the food in your eye, it won't, you can't do it. <laughs> How much food is just visual presentation? <laughs> and how, you know, like, you kind of consider these things, you think, this is crazy. 
Absolutely nobody eats food with their eyes. And yet, the most attractive thing is the sight. That's how crazy it is. Yeah, even if you're not hungry, oh, it looks nice, have one of these. <laughs> yeah. That's what people do. So it's just this kind of casual because the eye sees something that looks glistening and shiny or nice color, you know, just to pass the time. But when we reflect upon food, this body needs, where does it come from? Oh, it came from the shop. No, no, no. Go back. Where did it come from? Oh, it came from the warehouse. No, go back. Not the warehouse. Where did it come from? Oh, it came from the farm. Go back. Where did it come from? It came from the earth. The earth gave you that, right? And because the earth gave you that, it meant some other creature couldn't eat it. Because you took it. Yeah? That meant the, the deer couldn't eat it, because we took it. Right? We, we took the earth for ourselves. Other creatures, we kill, kill them. They get in the way. That's what food means. That's what eating means. It means I've, I've taken something, it means someone else will not have it. Right? How much do I want to take? And the Buddha said, just imagine you have a married couple with their son, their only son, walking across the desert. This desert is so far, we can't get across this desert in 10 days, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're all going to die. They keep walking, we're going to die, we're all going to die. And the man and his wife, they get thinking, we're going we're 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 to all die here. What are we going to do? I think, okay, we'll kill the son and eat him. Therefore, at least two of us will survive. He said, do you think they enjoyed that? <laughs> That's the way you should regard food. <laughs> I took it, someone else can't have it now. How much do I want to take? Yeah. You look at it like that and you think, Really, just enough. <laughs> just enough. And if I've taken food, how can I possibly transform that into something beautiful? What can I produce the earth can't produce? I can produce loving kindness. I can produce morality. I can produce morality, I can produce wisdom. Let me transform that food into these, that other creatures may benefit. Yeah. Therefore, in this way, maybe I'm repaying yeah. debt. And that's how you regard food. <laughs> And it's, it's also just really, really beautiful when you think there's all this kind of entertainment over food, just so much more freedom. Now I have maybe just little something, some soup, or maybe it's very small something, seven o'clock, eleven o'clock, one meal, enough. Look at it very carefully. 
how much. And then this then transform it. And so consider that in your own way. Don't starve yourself, but really look at cultivate. Then that's cultivation. That is cultivation. That's Buddha Dharma. We can do this all day long, every day. What are the results? You live simple. Your mind is clear. You're not caught up in the mirages and the fantasies and the consumer craving of this world that's eating everything up. Four requisites, food, shelter, just that which is necessary. Modest, give me space, shelter from the elements. You see people, they've got mansion with 21 rooms in it. How many bodies do you have? <laughs> 21, one? You know? Taking up more, more, more space. Yeah. Clothing, just what's necessary for our body warmth, yeah. for privacy, for modesty, what's suitable, helpful. So, you know, when we come into these situations, I see many of you have already adopted a kind of particular style of dress, which is an interesting and useful uh, consideration, and nobody has to say, wow, what a great t-shirt he's got, because it's exactly the same as his. <laughs> you can't say, I want one like that, because <laughs> you've already got it. <laughs> I've been wearing this robe, round robes like these, for the last 48 years. I don't have to think about what to wear this morning. <laughs> Should I wear the brown robe or the brown robe? <laughs> There's only one of them. <laughs> so that makes, that's the end of that. <laughs> so instead of the chetana, swinging around around choices around food around robes around this and the chitin around that just nothing to do there's no choice so therefore it's free to turn towards things that are more long lasting that's cultivation Medicine, support. What we need for support, just to cure the fevers and pains in the body. And it's important. It also reminds us, you know, this body is breaking down. This body is subject to inflammation, uh, ulceration, flus, cold, COVID, sickness. It's vulnerable <laughs> yeah. therefore we treat it with uh, respect and we listen to it carefully and we don't put poisons into it and we keep it clean and tidy yeah. because this is our workshop so we cultivate like this you see you go home you cultivate like that you stay here you feel comfortable because you know everyone is doing the same. It confirms, it solidifies it. 
we make a stand on it and realize all over the world people are doing this and then all over the world they're doing this you know, that's the true community that's your friends that's your people who don't even know their names but they're doing the same you know, so we sense of encouragement to be in this stream of Dhamma <laughs>